Hey, Food Safety Talk listeners, this is Don. This is a special prelude to episode 200. We recorded this episode live in Louisville, Kentucky at a meeting of the Rapid Response Team's program from FDA's Office of Partnerships. Unfortunately, we believe there was a significant problem with the recording for the audio of this episode. Evidence suggests that the audio engineers recorded the room audio instead of the inputs from our microphones. Thanks to some Herculean efforts by our friends from the internet, we are able to bring you this relatively listenable version of the podcast. Apologies in advance for the quality, but this was such a special episode, and the rapid response team folks were so supportive and helpful, we couldn't just not put this one out. So, on with the show. I, I, I know a couple of years ago when we first debuted um, uh, goodies for the um, good. uh, the, the big cards and we could not imagine anything more exciting than running our e-budget tag. Um, however, we have continually tried to push the envelope, and so um, uh, today, in what I believe is a significant credentialing exercise for this program and this meeting, um, we are joined by uh, Don Schaffner and Ben Chapman, um, uh, recording a live episode of their podcast, Food Safety Talk. Um, not only that, but it happens to be the bicentennial episode, which we all know is the most important of the numbers. Um, so we are very, very honored and flattered that it, it um, quite intentionally footfalls uh, here. Um, so um, without further ado, I will uh, step aside and let them do their thing. Um, and. Do. Um, <laughs> we, we get listeners back. 
Um, and, um, yeah, yeah, it's not everyone's beginning about it. <laughs> but that was super feedback from a very, very nice person who probably said, don't read my name or my message on the air. Um, and, and, and they, they said, you know, I started listening, um, and I'm a few episodes, a little bit behind. Does the Canadian get any better? <laughs> and I'm saying, um, I said, well, we've been doing this for many years now, and it's probably going to be a certain Yes, it's probably have. So, uh, so I immediately went to Twitter and changed my bio to say that I'm the Canadian from Food Safety Talk who owns and all the lots. Uh, so, <laughs> this is and yet somehow people listen to this. Um, so, we, so one of the things we do when we do these live episodes is we like to do a little bit of a survey. So there may be some of you in the audience who are wondering what the, what the hell have we gotten myself into. Um, so, but let's just do a little survey. How, and so this is this nominated podcast. Okay, how many of you have ever heard of something called a podcast? Raise your hand. So, and this is this, this is an audio medium. Okay, so for anyone who's listening right now, they don't know what you just did, but I'm going to tell them that most of the room raised, raised their hands. So that's good. Next question. How many of you have ever listened to at least part of a podcast, any podcast? All right, still, wow, this is getting better. Most of the hands went up. That's actually good. Um, how many of you consider yourselves to be Let's say regular podcast listener. You listen on a regular basis. Let's see. All right, so now we've got maybe we're down to maybe twenty percent of the room, and that's that's actually high, you know, given given uh, uh, historical records. All right, now for the most important question: How many of you listen to this podcast? How many listen to this podcast? Like not the one we're recording now. <laughs> that will be in the future. Because, yeah, okay, yeah. So so I think man, there's probably at least twenty or thirty people at this point. So this is uh, this is this is good. This is exciting. Right. This is the most uh, podcast listeners we've ever had in one setting uh, together. Except for every once in a while, I um the International Association for Food Protection annual meeting. Don and I, for the last six or so years, seven years maybe, um, we've always recorded an episode. And the first year was just him and I in like a basement room at the convention center, and this year we had um, probably about 20 people that, that joined us, which is which cool. And so yeah, it's, it, we, we've been doing these live podcasts, we, we do them, I don't know, three or four times a year, and really, we would do them more people, more people invited us, um, we'll go, we will travel, we'll go anywhere. Um, for, for podcast recording. Uh, uh, anyway, by then, you probably wouldn't have to pay for a subtitle. It's true. You can find the, the day out and you can fly out Making Don really nervous. Oh, uh, when, when he wasn't sure whether I, I arrived here uh, in Louisville an hour ago. And so, um, yeah. So, so my, uh, my text back and forth with him were, were a little bit. Um, are you, are nervously are you going to make it? And then he asked for my, my plate details so you can track whether my plane had actually taken off. So I, as I was boarding in Atlanta, I said, I'm boarding. And he goes, oh, I, I already got my alerts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I did beat the alert when I landed here at Google. Um, so so we, do, we do these uh, the, these live podcasts, and it's a little bit uh, of a different format for us. Because usually what happens is Don, I think it's like Don, Ben, and I laugh. Right, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but usually Don is in, in at home or he's in his office in New Jersey and I'm 
in my office or at home in North Carolina, we get together over Skype and just have this conversation for sometimes it started out like, okay, let's see if we can fill 30 minutes. And then we filled 30 minutes, and then it became like an hour, and now we talked for like two hours. Tom clearly is my best friend. Um, <laughs> we still have the time we talking to each other. But, but we, we talk about the things that are going on in our lives, the food safety things that are going on uh, as well. And then, um, you know, things that are going on in the news, and then we have a whole bunch of feedback. So people, like the 20 or so people that listen to the show, um, will send us messages and tweet at us and, and sort of say, what do you think about this? Or have you seen that? And, we, and that, the content is really user-generated now, um, other than Don and I talking about what, these are like long-time inside jokes, and I'll have to explain a little bit. One of the things that Don likes to talk about all the time is watching British, British TV shows, like murder mysteries, that are all, in my estimation, really dark and dreary with solid people. Um, and then I talk about hockey, because I'm from Canada. And, and then maybe we talk about um, uh, food safety for, for some of it. But over, uh, over the 200 episodes, that, that we've done, I, what, what I, uh, my experience has been, I think about food safety personally very differently than I did when we started this. Because I come at this world of food safety as a, a, like a field person, someone who looks at what do people do, what, how do you change their behaviors, the microbiology of, of food safety for me is, is it's, I mean, it's not secondary, it's just not what I do every single day. Really interested in why people get sick and how, how do we change those, those behaviors. And Don doesn't, doesn't come from, from that world in the same way. Don doesn't care about that at all. He's just, no. Um, no, Don, Don comes from uh, a more microbiology world that, that crosses over with, with math and looking at um, defining risk. And, and so as we've had these conversations with, with each other, um, you know, 200 plus now over the last uh, bunch of years, I think I look at things, I have a much better understanding of, uh, of risk assessment and, and where that comes up against risk management, which is sometimes what I do, but really what I focus on is, is risk communication. And, um, and so that's the, you know, we do this, we say this in a lot of, um, a lot of times on our shows, but we would do this even without people listening to it because it helps us, I think, be better at food safety because we're, we're looking at a much broader landscape of, of this, of this big picture of all these illnesses that happen. Yeah, and, and in fact, it's just crazy that in fact people listen. Actually, one of the most, and again, I'm one of the most gratifying audiences are you folks, right? Um, I think that maybe because a lot of you spend a lot of time on long commutes and you need something to do and podcast at that time. Um, but but I think Ben and I are both very appreciative of the work that you do uh, because it's not what we do, right? But, but what you do helps us do what we do, which is communicate about these things. And so it's very, again, it's very gratifying to hear that anyone listens. Actually, my first reaction whenever anyone tells me that they listen is, oh man, did I say anything like really secular or or about men? Or about men. Yeah, did, did we mention men specifically? Hopefully not. Um, but, but I'm grateful. I'm grateful that you're doing that. Um, and 
and uh, yeah, and, and so far nobody's been really upset about anything that's said. So, um, yeah, no, but going back a little bit into the archives, one of the things that, that I was thinking about uh, as we prepared for what we were going to talk about today that has a real, like, to give you a sense of, of where we approach food safety and, and hopefully moving the dialogue forward even within our food safety professional world, Don and I, um, we both are extension food safety people, so we do outreach for a, a large portion of, of what our jobs are at at our respective universities. And one of our relatively early episodes, um, we had a, a discussion about something that came up in my state, which was someone came to me and said, okay, I know that raw milk um, consumption is bad. I know that I can't buy it. So let's just suspend all belief um, and we'll talk in hypotheticals. Let's say I bought it somewhere, like, oh, I don't know, in a parking lot outside of a high school in Lumberton, North Carolina. Uh, it's very specific. I mean, there are multiple high schools, or multiple schools in Lumberton, North Carolina. Um, and that, you know, I know that someone probably, you know, brought this from a, a dairy in South Carolina. Um, what, how should I make it safe as possible to consume? And it put us into a really interesting situation because we're, we're, we lie in this world of, okay, People are going to do things that are maybe against regulations. How do we recognize that just telling them, don't do this, isn't really going to lead to the behavior change that, that we want, knowing that there's already a whole bunch of regs on, on top of this. And so, so we engaged in this sort of conversation, and around the same time, um, we were, uh, had this conversation. We were both, well, Don was rewatching. The Wire, the great HBO show, which really, if you listen to the first like 40 episodes of Food Safety Talk, we basically spent the first 20 minutes talking about The Wire, so you can possibly write. Um, and because I was watching it for the first time, so, so we engaged in this entire conversation about raw milk and, um, and how do we, how do we, like, provide us a, a safe environment to talk about this outside of those, those regulatory worlds, and not in a way where it's like, yeah, everybody should just raw milk. But in a way, I'm like, okay, recognizing that people are going to do this, how do we make it as safe as possible? Which is a, a place that we can get to that many of you in the room can't get to. Um, and, and that, you know, what Don mentioned, that for the most part, people get upset at us, that only lets us people get upset at us. Um, and, and from all different stakeholder sides of that conversation, Regulators, like, how could you talk about this? We call that episode is called Raw Milk Cancer Now, and that's a reference to the wire where there's in Baltimore, there's an area in Baltimore that uh, the police force came and said, okay, you know that people are going to do heroin, let's do it in the States. Um, and so we equated raw milk to heroin. And that <laughs> also, yeah, that also makes some people upset. Um, and, and so, so I guess um, how, how Don and I have really operated for um, for a long time is let's talk about it, right? Like instead of just okay, people are upset. Well, we invited people on to subsequent episodes to talk about why they disagree with with our perspectives, and and I don't think it changed anybody's mind, listeners, people, us, the, uh, the individuals. But at least we had a dialogue about where we were was coming from, and that. For, for me, it was like one of the, I guess, the early successes about what we, what we do with the same time. 
Yeah, so if you want to listen again, uh, it, those of you who are regular listeners will know this, but we prepare for every episode, we prepare show notes. And in that, in those show notes, we provide links to the documents of the things we talk about. So uh, episode 53 of Food Safety Talk was entitled Toronto Amsterdam. Uh, and then the follow up episode was entitled Ban Ignorant PhDs, um, which, which, which was us. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, it was wonderful. And so for every, for every show that we do, um, we, we get something for, for show art. Uh, and we the show art for this episode, which is a great uh, photo of uh, the physicist uh, Richard Feynman uh, with the caption Science is the belief in the ignorance of experts. So uh, anytime you can quote uh, Richard Feynman, I think it's probably a good episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so that's, I mean, that's kind of what we, what we try to do. Um, when we, when we do these live shows, um, we record all these, and, you know, I think that was, you know, hopefully you are all there that, so you're saying, there's not going to be on the internet. Um, but, how we get to those things? Yeah, yeah, people probably won't be able to identify your specific voice. Um, but, when we, um, when we do these live shows, we like to spend a little bit of time talking, uh, about our, philosophy, I guess, on, on how we do it, why we do it, um, and then talk a little bit about things that are going on that we might have prepared, and then at some point in the next 40 minutes or so, we'll open things up for questions, and please ask us, like, this is the full internet wide open, ask us anything. You can ask me about, and I'll be happy to talk about the um, playoff hockey game I played last night, where my team... Um, 65 euros is 142 against a team called FUN, which I think you know why I recognize. Um, but no, no um, and, but if you want to talk about hockey and the scoring goals last night, but we'll also talk about that, but also not only we're here to talk about music, so um, we, can, we can mention those things as well. But that's kind of what, how, how we're going to run things today. Um, Don, is there anywhere you want to start? No. <laughs> All right. Well, there's places that I want to start. So one of the things that Dan told me that in preparation for this show, um, that he would have, because he would be traveling today, he would have about 10 cups of coffee. So I think that he's on cup number 11 and today, right now. So fired up. So so go ahead, Dan. Okay. So maybe my favorite news of the week this week was about Chipotle. Because Chipotle is like a hot topic on food safety talk. If you want to go back into the archives, they're they're there. Um, yeah, I have a Chipotle update. Yeah, so I knew Don was going out for Chipotle update. I wanted to segue to this with um, some uh, some words from uh, the Chipotle CEO. And I guess the, what I'll set this up the, to paraphrase some stuff. So Chipotle in the past has had some issues uh, with employee health policies and following. A uh, couple outbreaks a few years ago, norovirus outbreaks, one in Virginia and one in Massachusetts. The during those investigations, and maybe people in the room were part of those investigations, um, but during those investigations, some stuff came out on um, individuals showing up to work ill, calling sick, uh, all and trying to not show up to work ill, but individuals uh, and managers kind of say, well, can you please come into work? You know, I'll paraphrase a little bit. So one of the things that I thought was really interesting this week was um, in updates that shareholders, this week, the, the new, newish CEO of Chipotle, talked about how um, now 
as part of the employee uh, health policy for, for Chipotle, um, it includes a like check-in with a nurse. And the quote that, that, I, uh, that I liked about this was the, the nurse, so, so someone's going to come and say, we don't want people to just call and sick because they're hungover. So now you've got to talk to the nurse to make sure you're not hungover, and then you can get paid um, for being off work. And I think that's how it works. That's how it was described. So you called the nurse on the phone? I think so. The black nurse. Black nurse. And, um, and she diagnoses um, not hungover. Not hungover yeah. on the phone. Yeah. How do you think I got a Already, I can spot some problems with this. Uh, and I, I am not a nurse, nor an expert. You are not Yeah. <laughs> but these two things don't, don't match. Yeah, so, so I think it probably goes something like, so you're sick. Can you tell me why? I'm definitely not on over. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, no, but, but so, I, you know, all, all joking aside uh, on this, one of the things that, that I have been, um, that I would you know, personally look at and probably be, be positive about is, you know, they, 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 they're all hit lists of places that have suffered from multiple foodborne illness outbreaks, right? Like, like there's, the, not just with us, the, the you know, um, the food safety talk people, but in popular press and in um, late night TV shows, you know, they are, they, they are the, the brunt of, of jokes. So there's a big brain behind that that they have to try and turn, turn the ship. And we've seen, if you follow this story, you've seen this, this move of, of immediately after a bunch of these outbreaks happened, um, in 2015, um, there was a change of food safety leadership and, and a, a company was brought in to like really focus on what we're going to do for food safety. And then something happened, and, and for reals, Don and I don't know, but that company then was not involved. And then they brought in someone else to do food safety leadership, um, uh, Jim Barson, um, uh, formerly of Kansas State University. And then, and then he retired, and nothing else happened. And the father of Jim Barson, after Jim Barson did an accident, that's not a joke. That's true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we, we had the dad of the next one. Um, the funny thing that shows so um, and, and so that so things and so so things change and, and then there like information kind of trickles out as as morals in, in the food safety world not on the inside so you, you kind of get to see what happens in, in the press on it and so certain things happen where it was like okay we're going to change our formulation we're going to do a lot of sous vide cooking we're going to start looking at um, acidifying our um, our pico de gallo we're going to add a bunch of different you know, lying to it and make sure that our pH is up. Like, there's a lot of stuff that, that you're talking about. Some of these were good, and some of these were maybe without data that we were able to see. And, um, and, and so, I think we probably, because they get beat up all the time by lots of different folks, they're always really trying to talk about it. And in, you know, in the stuff that came up this week, it's another, it, it's a good example of who trying to move forward, and maybe there's something there. Like, like I don't know if there are um, too many other competitors of theirs out there in the space of quick serve restaurants that are like, okay, we are serious about employee health because we have all these illnesses, but we're also trying to manage what it means to our business. So let's try this. And then to assure foods, non food safety people that are investors saying, okay, we're everybody's just going to call them nurse, and then we'll know for sure whether they have more virus. And, and that sounds really good. 
Maybe there's probably more to it than, than what the CEO is saying. Well, and, and I mean, good for them for trying, right? Like, I mean, you know, and, and I, so we've done a lot of research in front of that on anyone. And so um, I, I think about this a lot. I think about neurovirus a lot. And, you know, people talk about, oh, well, you have to wash your hands with neurovirus. Guess what? If you, I mean, I can show you the data, right? If you're, if you're sick of neurovirus and you're vomiting or pooping out neurovirus and diarrhea, I still don't want that risk of right? I would much rather have that be excluded from the restaurant. But of course, the problem that these industries face is these are, again, we don't need to get into the politics and whether we should be paying people more you know, for, for the work that they do. But if, if they are actually dependent on that job, so it's either family, and, and you send them home, well, that's a tremendous incentive for them to, to not go home, but to try to make it through the day and do their best to hand washing and trips to the bathroom. And meanwhile, they're contaminating things with coronavirus. And so, so I think on Fox Chipotle, we're, we're at least trying to, to do this. And then, of course, you've got to count up the, the hungover aspect with doing something like a fucking nerve. But I have to say, in the interest of full disclosure, um, I am. As we discussed, I think I don't have a podcast at all. It's better publicly for the first time. Uh, I am in the pocket of Big Chipotle. Big Chipotle pockets right here. Uh, so that the, uh, the, the individual who is their vice president of food safety, uh, Gary Bridges, who talked to me at the IAPM meeting this past summer, um, because I had been saying some bad things about Chipotle on Twitter, and apparently got back to her. She was, she was very nice, very nice person. She was very good. She said, look, let's, let's have some lunch. Um, so she bought me a free lunch at the IAP uh, lunch, and we chatted for a while, um, and she gave me six gift cards. Oh, um, good for six free updates. And, and I did not use them for a long time, and I, I can report that I finally used them. I, I gave one away, I, I, I used four the other day. You still I still have one. That's a lot more. That's a lot more. That's a lot more. That's a lot more. So I get a report that I didn't get sick, so that's good. But I also have to report when I was going to the restaurant, I was like nervous, which is a idiotic response, right? I'm a food safety professional. I know that that particular people at a restaurant serves that looks like why my nerves getting out of a plane. Most most of the time it's a crash, right? Most of the time people leave it's cold and they don't get sick. But but I go so again, it shows kind of a weird way of running. I did it in a Chipotle, didn't get sick, but I actually, it, it, for me, it, and I was kind of curious as to how it's in the face, it's just the same as it before, which I used, which I used to love, right? So, um, so anyway, so, so, uh, so I, when it comes up Chipotle, I also have to say, in the full disclosure, they are flying me um, to Newport Beach in January to tell me about their particular program. So, um, you know, so, again, not paying me, right? I got given me a free, yeah. Free plane lines to California January. So. The 
strikes us enough to talk about it, we're going to talk about it, regardless of who it is and, and what our previous um, you know, relationships are, are with them. Um, but there are times, and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll tell you uh, guys about some, a couple of projects that, that I'm working on, where it's like, I, I don't know, you have to make sure that as a, as a scientist, as someone who's um, at a research institution, they're like, okay, let me, let me make sure that I just want everybody to know you're, this is a group that I've interacted with before. So you can't take that into account when you're, when you're listening to, um, to you know, whatever I'm, I'm, I'm talking about or what we're saying. So we, we did, um, this last week, or a week ago, I was uh, traveling around to go to distribution centers um, for food. And I won't get any like further into it than that, but you know, so there are, um, it, it, uh, I'll describe the, the process for, for listeners, for folks in the room who know this, but um, you have production and, and whether it's produce or whether it's meat or whatever it is, it gets somehow it gets processed and packed, then it gets to some wholesale, and then it gets to the distribution center that goes into a couple of different places, right? So it could go into retail, grocery stores, it could go into food service, but that hub of food and food safety um, it's a really interesting spot, and as so, I'm working on a project with a couple of other colleagues. Where we're starting. What we're trying to do is investigate risks associated with distribution centers. And distribution centers are a really interesting spot because, in talking with a handful of them, they don't really see themselves as as handling food. They're boxes in, boxes out, and and they may break down pallets. And, and they may handle cases of food, but the, the food, you know, they, they don't, they, 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 again, in my small little, little group of this, they're not really seeing themselves the same way as like a place like um, a fresh type produce process or a chipotle. Uh, that they're, they're not really handling stuff. And, and it puts them into a weird spot when it comes to, to food safety. And, and, and then, what they do on top of that for if you're interested in like environmental monitoring, you know, of a warehouse. And and, and just questions of asking like, so what are the risks and how do you manage them? And they're like, well, this is this is all kind of like relatively new to us because before Fishman wasn't really something that anybody's really looking at all that all that much. And now all of a sudden we're we're in a different world when we're, when we're coming to, to this. And, and they're looking at us. I mean us, not me, but us collectively gone, us the folks in the room here, um, for for ideas around risk. And and this is it's a different situation for from I don't know where where we're at. Um, in other areas of, of distribution or of, of that, that supply chain. Because I can go to the literature and find out a whole bunch of information about like packaging prevalence on, you know, basil. If, I, if someone from the basil industry is like, well, what do we have to do for risks? I, there's something to go on. When it comes to distribution centers, there's very few, um, if any, uh, published um, Research literature on, on what the handling looks like and describing it. And why is it different from what happens in the back of the grocery store? Or why is it different from what happens in uh, in processing plant? And, and what, you know, we expect to have niches for, for pathogens uh, out, out of there. And so, so I mean, I, I guess the, the point is I, I spent some time at these, um, at these distribution centers last week and 
it has a, someone who comes at it from a, a very like, all right, what are you doing? And then what, what, what does the microbiology say? I still, I mean, and it's, and it's due, I don't really have a good set of answers. Like, I don't know what's, where's the riskiest thing that they need to look at, or, you know, and so you get back with things like, well, let's look at pork lips. Like, okay, what about the pork makes it risky? Because it's not touching the product, it's, not, it's touching um, the palate. Could it be moving a package around? Absolutely. Well, let's look at the ceilings. Hmm. Can we have things that fall along boxes? Yeah. Let's look at venture boxes versus covered boxes. Well, exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I think but fundamentally it comes down to like, what are you distributing at a distribution center? Right? Like, I'm going to make a bright line between whether it's temperature control. Absolutely. So, I mean, frozen versus fresh versus fresh dried right? And then uh, that'll make me pest control, which probably part of But I mean, is, is, is that really a risk based thing, or is that you reacting based on what I know these facilities do? Right, but and that's, I mean, I think you're. Nailing where, where I'm trying to go with, with my thought process. What, what we're really trying to do, our, our research team right now, is just gather as much information as possible about what it really looks like. Can we describe it? Can we understand a little bit more about what the process is? And what the microbiology looks like? Because we, don't, we really don't know. We don't have a good sense of what's, what's there. So, more on that as, as that kind of work sort of flushes out over the next year or so. But it is, um, I, I think, as we, as we start looking more and more about food safety as a supply chain issue, where, you know, and, and this is where I think this one really open a lot of things up. When we look at transportation, we look at distribution, those are areas that we just don't have a whole line in the line. Right. Yeah, you know, your comments about, about uh, FISMA and things changing uh, remind me of actually the session earlier today, which was on the case here. Oh, right? And somebody made a comment that, well, you know, technically, pigs here are not food, right? They're, they're a cheap oil or an animal oil. That has just that completely ruined the way. Because, yeah, of course. So, so maybe it's not regulated, even though the animal is part of the law. So, so, you know, and again, as our epidemiology gets better and better, and props to all the epidemiologists in the room, as our epi gets better and better, we're going to see more and more of these weird problems that we, I mean, we all of us, um, the industry, the, the regulatory folks, or the public health folks, the academics, um, uh, are going to have to come together. Does somebody have? No, the, I guess that's, that's all. Yeah, the consumer, consumer yeah. Um, We're all going to have to work together to try to figure out what's going on. So it's a very exciting time to be in, uh, in, in food safety and public health. Yeah, yeah, well, and just to add on to that, so things that are, we never really thought were going to be food or we were outside of that, that definition, but also, um, further down that consumer line area that, that I work on, is like trying to understand more about how people handle food in ways that we didn't predict before. And I'll, I'll give a, a quick example from some research that we did over the last um, couple of years um, with, with partners um, at, uh, at USDA FSIS looking at how chicken um, and poultry gets washed by, by consumers. How I, at the start of this project, I had a very like uh, structured thought on how people wash chicken. They open the package, they turn on a faucet, they take the chicken pieces out, they put it underneath the faucet, and then they cook it, right? And, and that, in a portion, and it's a size of portion, 70, 75% of the time, that's what it looks like, but there's 25% of the time that it's not that. That, like, when we look at, if we're trying to calculate, Risk. And again, this is something that like, part of doing this podcast is helping me understand 
that, that 25% of the time is not an insignificant amount of time, right? Like, we're just like, oh, this is, most of the time this is what it looks like. Yeah, but maybe it's those other, that other 25% of the time where, where we've got different, different risks. And so people submerge it in, um, in a bowl. They may have salt. They may have lemon. They may pull the skin off. They may get right in there with their hands. And you still, like, just stuff that, that until we started um, do this, do these projects, looking at what consumers actually do, we could have predicted. And that matters in how we prioritize what we do down the road, right? That, that's the piece that, um, that, that I think is, is important for us in, in figuring stuff out. Yeah, and one of the things, too, that, that I have been, and I increasingly I try to tell this message when I'm talking to a food processor that if you get to your idea what what happens 25% of the time, hey, what, what happens 1%? Right? Like if you're a food processor and you're shipping millions and millions of shipments of a food, um, and one percent of them are contaminated with one salmonella, guess what? That's a huge signal. That, that that's going to because a hundred percent of that food more than likely is going to be consumed by your customers. And there's a, a certain fraction of people, even the ones that eat it, might eat only one salmonella. There's a certain fraction of those that can get that get sick. And so that's going to result in a massive outbreak. And I think that's a, something that a lot of people don't don't necessarily think about. The guy who sits there and tries to calculate these risks coming out of the time. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. Um, one, of the, one of the things that, that I also have on my list to, to hit um, today, so, so I'm going to give you, uh, let, me, let me go on my notes here, Tom. And while I've been doing that, I want to say that a lot of times we'll do an episode that's going to go for two hours. That's not going to be today, right? <laughs> yeah, we have a constraint. Um, uh, we might end at, at, at five o'clock. So um, if you have questions, um, right after, I think, right after uh, Ben does this next topic, we will take questions. And so just, uh, there's going to be somebody going around the microphone, just raise your hand. Um, uh, wait for the microphone, please, so you can get your, your question on the audio recording. So, um, so be thinking about what the question is, because I'm sure um, a, a great bunch of people have have lots of really cool questions that we haven't thought of. So, um, so this is one that I think is probably like near and dear to many people in the, um, in the audiences, uh, like in the actual audiences, not audience in the room, it's hard. And it's about sharing information and going public with information and when to do it. And it's something that Don and I talk about all the time um, on, you know, uh, the classic Paul Meek uh, uh, quote, which I think we even use in a lot of episodes ago. So if you go too early, you're wrong. I'm going to do it. I mess up every time. If it was the last episode, yeah. you get the show notes. I know, I know. Um, food safety recalls are always either too early or too late. If you're right, it's always too late. If you're wrong, it's always too early. Yeah, and, and it's like, I think a tenet of what we do, right? It's like, how do you share information about what you have, when you have it? And and and, and so, um, I don't know, a month ago, six weeks ago, we talked a little bit about this on the last uh, episode. Um, yeah, there was uh, an outbreak that was that was announced that was like, hey, this outbreak happened, and and now we're going to tell you that it, that it happened, but we didn't release information at the time. And I know there's a lot of nuance to what I just said, but let's not worry about the nuance. But we got a message, um, or I got a message, um, and we're almost to on this about one of our colleagues in the world of food safety, another food microbiologist. Um, and he said, um, and this was in relation to something that we posted on, on Bark Blog about Romaine, um, and he said that, um, I read the article on Romaine with interest, as it's likely that my daughter was an unwilling person in that outbreak. And because there was no, quote, ongoing outbreak, her doctors 
diagnosed her with IBS and prescribed antibiotics. There wasn't information out in the public that made it to primary care um, about this outbreak. And and, and, and we were in a situation that made her illness worse. Um, and so much so, this is, you know, someone who, again, Don and I know personally, um, his message went on to say, I wonder if we were actually going to lose him. And so we, we think about the, what we do in food safety, and, and we, we talk about things in these big pictures, and see these illnesses in numbers, but there are, it, it, is, it is super personal, right? The, the people that get sick, they don't. Um, people that get really sick may not recover. The things that we do, the things that you do, uh, it's important for those individuals that we always continue to get better at it and have less of these foodborne illnesses. It's really easy to throw around um, you know, 48 million cases of foodborne illness, month under reporting, and um, you know, things, things like that. So we are getting better at this, but, but there are situations where it's like, oh, we should continue to get even better. We, we need to figure out how to, how to share more information, how to get it in the hands of, of individuals that can help make uh, decisions. Um, and, and not, it, I guess looking at it as there are lots of different stakeholders in contaminated food and what food gets recalled and not recalled. And, and some, you know, the industry is part of that, the regulatory world is part of it, but then also the, the consumers and what's out there. And, and the primary health care providers, um, the more we can get information to them to help diagnose illnesses and say, oh, you know, there is something actually going on. And in certain states, you see this more than, than others, where it's like, hey, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on in our state, we don't know what the source is. That is a, that's a trigger to the primary health to say, hmm, let's, maybe this illness is sent out because there's something going on uh, as part of that diagnosis. So I just wanted to, to throw that out there. Yeah, so um, I've got a reaction to that, but let me also say, have questions right now. Now's the time to do it. Yeah, so, um, and you know, I, I appreciate every time um, there is a personal story like that. So, for example, I'm, I'm friends with Barb Walchek, Ben is as well. Uh, she lost her son uh, to Ebola, uh, to Ebola, and I'm friends with Barb and her, her mom uh, on Facebook. And uh, Barb's mom posted that their their uh, Barb's son would have been 21 yesterday, and uh, that's that's and he got it five. So it's a, and for again, the guy who is focused on numbers and calculating illnesses, um, it, sometimes I lose sight of the fact that those so the numbers actually are um, So anyway, so uh, on that light note, um, if there are if there are questions, go ahead and raise your hand. Uh, Stay a question, and we'll, and we'll do our best to uh, waffle, equivocate, and uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll. Um, we might just say it's like your question is a little complicated and it depends. Is that common answer for us? But yeah, so, and Susan can ask us anything. Yeah, well, while we're waiting for that, um, yeah, I want you to know that my, my former graduate student, uh, Dane, has texted me a happy 200th anniversary to me and oh, to you. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. Go ahead. Yeah, please. Hi. So I wanted to bring up, um, make a comment, and my question about the people in the distribution facility as being also of a concern. And in our state, we ran into recently where it wasn't the distribution facility, but it was the delivery driver. Right. Because they pull out the product and touch it to show the 
the restaurant. So that became a big issue for us to have to A. And so I was curious, you didn't mention, you weren't mentioning that organism yet, but um, because it has come up a lot in the inner circle throughout the country, is what are your thoughts on food workers being vaccinated for hepatitis A? Yeah, no, this is a good question. I'm, I'm a big fan of, of food workers being vaccinated for, for hepatitis A. Um, I, I, and I know it's like kind of easy to say that um, because the costs aren't, aren't always um, apparent to folks in public health uh, and more apparent to folks um, in, in the industry. Um, and and I, you know, I know all of the challenges that some of them throw up around. It's like, well, this is a transient uh, population, and um, if they're, you know, we, we have um, a you know, scheduled um, vaccination process that, that requires um, you know, multiple touches. There's a lot of stuff um, with it that, um, that the people throw out there. But I, I'm definitely a proponent. It's hard to argue, it's hard for me. Who's, um, who sees where we're at right now in, in the U.S. with regards to so many pockets of hepatitis A, um, the, with, uh, especially through um, the homeless population and issues uh, drug users that then filters in the, in the food service, and it's not that it's hard for me to say that's not a good thing for us to, to take care of. Yeah, and, and uh, we uh, I would also say I'm a fan of food workers being, being vaccinated, but I understand the company's perspective on, on cost effectiveness. The good news is that because kids are generally being vaccinated, um, it means that eventually we're going to have a population that is vaccinated um, through, through other means of restaurants doing it. Um, uh, the other thing, too, is our, our friend uh, Bill Marler, who's a safety lawyer, um, has basically has an open offer to any company uh, that's willing to vaccinate all of their workers. Um, they'll still sign some sort of paperwork that they won't sue them if they vaccinate all their workers. This is a guy before the scene didn't smell what it smelled like. People were smoking marijuana. So really, I want you, I want you to, to, to consider that as you consider the question. Thank you for that. Thank you for that very pertinent information, Don. Go ahead, go ahead, Paula. This is my question. And my count for the first half hour was was uh, ninety-five to. 36 pounds on bones and others winning. So I think, based on, I didn't time it, I should have, because that's the next part of study, but as far as division of the time of speaking, it's probably. I remember. Yeah, yeah. I didn't let Tom in on much today. So I guess I just want to throw out there, rebuttal? So I guess I just want to throw out there, as far as risk calculation, this is something that's really on my heart is. So you've got these, these heart-wrenching stories, individual last one of Barton's deaths. But then on the other side, you mentioned you touched on it, the, the worker who doesn't get to work, or the, the produce grower who doesn't get the harvest, or their, their crop goes to heck, and, 
and just stop the coming back. And that has a real impact too. So how do we ever get around it? We don't like to put a price on life, but there's a price on, on all sides of that equation. What do you guys think about that? Well, yeah, so when we talk about uh, like produce, right? So I think we're, we're getting better, right? Like, so that used to be, and again, you know, the, the whole fresh produce industry grew up in a time when we thought that all foodborne disease came from animals, right? Uh, and so the industry is getting better. Um, at least now, um, the industry has gotten to the point where they know that if, 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 if they figure out the illness is coming from Salinas, um, that everybody in Yuma is okay, right? And so you should label, you should label the, the region, right? And the industry is moving forward with that. Now, uh, I was faced with an interesting situation. I think it may have been on my but I don't remember that. Um, where I was faced uh, with, I had eaten uh, some, some packaged lettuce one night, and this was relatively recent here. I got to fit on an uh, international flight. Uh, eating some lettuce one night, looked at the label the next night, and saw, this is the middle of the Salinas, uh, latest Salinas outbreak, and saw that um, my produce came from Salinas, Michigan, or Colorado. So first of all, I didn't know they had a Salinas, Michigan, or a Salinas, Colorado, but I think what the label was trying to say is it could have been from the Salinas Valley, California, or Michigan, or Colorado. But I, yeah, so I eaten one serving uh, from the, the bag and I decided not to. So I think, this is a long way of not really answering the question, except to say that I think what we need to do is take a long view and realize that we're going to get better incrementally. Again, to just take it back to Pixie for a second, it blew me away with the stories you folks were telling about people didn't like the, the people from the, the distribution center uh, didn't know why you that you were there, right, to do the inspection. So you've got to do a lot better communication, but but I think they were better. Yeah, and I'll I'll jump on that from a um, from a Roman standpoint as well. So things that I've heard from journalists and from people that I see at the hockey arena, which are really the only two other people in Tom and I, that I talked to for two years, um, uh, is is that there is a much higher recognition of they don't they don't know why that Romania is a problem around Thanksgiving, but they know now for two years in a row that we had a Romania issue. And then when I spent time at the distribution center they're also very keenly aware of it because there's there's a lot of um, a lot of labor involved, and, and some of the conversations in all three of those groups are about like, well, okay, tell us more about what a transition period time means. You know, but okay, we're transitioning from crop in one place to the country to the other. Why is that a problem? And what should we be looking at from a microbiological standpoint? But more importantly, how can I? This is from the buyer standpoint. How can I avoid a transition? How can I just not buy that? I'll pay more to not deal with recalls. And so that, I think, goes a little bit to your, to your comment on. It's about, like, the over time, with more and more incidents that, that we are good at solving, that we can start to put time together, the market, the consumer perception, the conversation you will all shift, that it'll change the how the food industry runs. Like, they just won't. Those products in transition, I mean, this this is my, like, weird little prediction. Five years from now, ten years from now, we'll have a much more defined transition period where we just don't, it just stops, and then those products go elsewhere. Like, and I don't mean elsewhere, like, exported. I mean, they go to some other market that has nothing to do with fresh uh, consumption growing, whatever that is. Maybe they're turning to pick cheap or pick your 
It's not just what's your face, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. It's going to be on the table for you. I'm telling you. But yeah, somebody got on that. But, but I mean, that's, like, that's how, how we see how things happen in the practices. It's just these events, the more you talk about them, they do become, quote, tipping points. You take something out of our favorite author, um, Milo's time. Um, and, uh, and, 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 but it, it changes how, how, things, how we operate, and it changes how we, how we regulate it, and how that needs to be. give you, like, another little snippet from my past. I spent some time when I was in graduate school looking at tomatoes um, in greenhouses. And when we started the project, tomatoes in greenhouses in Ontario were picked and put onto a flume. And that flume pushed, there's like circulated water, recirculated water, that pushed the tomatoes from the greenhouse all the way through the packing facility. And how did you walk? Well, you walked above the flume because the flume was great and that they were in between the rows of the greenhouse. And then all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, but now we're, we identify that there are pathogens that can get it, um, that are problematic in produce. All of a sudden, that practice changes. Like, you can't find a flu uh, tomato in a greenhouse anymore, like, you know, anywhere that, that, I, that I've seen in the last 20 years. How do they move them? So now they move them on carts. Yeah, so they, so, so they, they have to re engineer the process. So I think that, that comes into this business, this, this, how business changes. Um, there are costs. Those costs are going to get pushed back to the, to the producers to the industry, um, but it's because of the public outcry around um, around those and just brands they damage, right? Like they won't exist anymore. So someone's going to have to, yeah, someone's going to change, or the type of product won't exist anymore. Okay, so I think you probably have time for one or two more questions. Over here, one over here. We'll, we'll fix all these long silences. No, you probably should. I think I have to edit this for now. Oh, it's Yeah, fix it. Fix it. All of you got all these comments and offs. So, uh, you talked earlier in the podcast about uh, you guys creating a space to have that conversation outside of the regulatory and know people are going to do dumb things. So, do you think that that's a space that is that should be built by either state or federal regulators? And how would you like to see that space built? Cool. That's uh, so. Yeah, I mean, I'll, you know, I'll take some further. I'm not trying to understand questions. Well, I, I think I think the question is so. So, what we're trying to do is there are things that are that are legal that are risky that that uh, traditionally. Um, I don't even know if this is a fair comment to say. Traditional regulators would say, well, yeah, it's against regulation, so don't break that regulation. And, and as opposed to, okay, it's outside of the regulation, let's talk about, yes, you break regulation, but how can you reduce risk? Is that kind of where your question is? Is there a role for regulators in that conversation? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So I'm missing that opportunity where your affiliate and as the food safety talk podcast will be the supplement. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, I, and I, I think in in my experience, there are lots of uh, fora where that is already happening without being in, um, it's happening in, in circles where everyone feels comfortable to have those conversations, where it's not like, I, there's a lot, there's a heavy level of trust, where, where regulators, industry, academics are all getting together in a room and being like, okay, we have to figure this out. What are you seeing? What are you, what are you doing? And the, the, the industry feels safe about it. The regulators feel safe that they're not um, 
breaking any ethical rules by having a conversation about it. And uh, in Austin's economics, we get to do kind of whatever we want. But then I'll facilitate that. So yeah, I would love to see more um, of that happen. I understand why it doesn't. And I, but we having those opportunities um, at local or state or federal levels would, would, would certainly help the industry change what they do because there's they're, they feel that there's a level of trust. Yeah, and I guess my first reaction is I'm not sure that we can do it, right? Like one of the things that we, we don't do so much anymore that we like to do um, on earlier versions of the podcast was, uh, was to drag on the podcasts, including some done by our friends government. And they, they are, they're scripted podcasts where people prepare their remarks and they read them. And I, I totally get why we have to do that. And I also totally get why we never have a job like that. As far as I know, we don't have to do that. Um, and so I'm, I'm not, I guess I'm less optimistic than Ben as to whether, whether that whether that ever happen. But what I absolutely can tell you is that Ben and I, are, you know, we love talking to audiences like this. We love getting to know these people, just like we love getting to know our colleagues in the food industry. And I, so I like that. I think of, I won't say who's, who's good and who's bad. I'm clearly better than regulators, so you're all big guys, the industry is bad guys. And I tell the industry exactly the opposite. <laughs> but, 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 but Dad and I are like neutral, right? I don't know if there's any uh, uh, Dungeons and Dragons uh, players out there, but you know, we're like neutral, we're true neutral. So, so we like we play with both sides. So, uh, but, but uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a good question. And, and uh, again, to, to kind of make characters of them saying, I think the more that we can talk together and find places where we can talk in confidence, um, that's going to make things better. My question is, is related to communication uh, with the public as well as food industry. And I think oftentimes we spend a lot of time constructing a message about a risk to, to the public or food industry. And Either there's uh, misinformation out there that we're competing with, or our message is misinterpreted. And I was wondering if you have any suggestions on how we can better communicate um, and, and reduce uh, occurrences of illness. So, so one of the things that Ben and I love to talk about, and part of the reason, part of our inspiration for doing the podcast is not to talk down to people. I'm not saying we talk down to people, but like we, yeah, we do this podcast for our, our, our friends, we do it for each other, we do it for people in industry, we do it for people in government, but I also like to do it for what I call the normal people, right? Uh, which are probably not normal for listening to podcasts and not in the industry, right? But there's just people that care about this stuff. And so I would say part of it is not oversimplifying, right? And one of the things that, again, and just then I have been before on the podcast, we'll do it again, I'm sure, is critiquing messages that we think are overly simplistic. But people, people can handle complexity. At least I think some people can handle complexity, some of the time. Don just like literally took my head, which is, no. yeah. So I wasn't even looking. No. So, so, so don't talk down to people, don't, don't, it's complicated and it depends, tell people it's complicated and it depends, and then tell them why. And, tell them, and then also tell them what you're doing to fix the problems that you're doing. Um, yeah, so, so those, those, are, those are some things that I would suggest. You no, know, yeah, you have something for me. Um, yeah, I mean, what, what Don just talked about was um, you, you know, your question was about how do we communicate risk? And, and my standard answer would be back, use risk communication. And we, and, and this, this is one, we don't do that. You look at a uh, uh, recall notice, it's not risk communication. You look at disclosure of risk on um, restaurants, um, 
uh, then it needs to stop risk communication. Is it talking about risk? Yes. Is it a risk message? Sure. It's not built on any tense of a field that has been around for um, study for 70 years. And Don talked about a couple of things. But one area that I want to highlight that we have a lot of in food safety that we don't really talk about is uncertainty. We don't really, as, as message makers, we don't want to look like we don't really know what's happening. But oftentimes, during an outbreak investigation or a recall, these are our best guesses. Here's all the data that we're using to make these guesses. There's a lot of uncertainty. It, it feels very unnatural. It feels very uncomfortable to say, we don't know. Because the, the flip side of that that I'm sure you would hear in, in your discussion about messages is, well, we can't look like we don't know what we're doing. And the issue isn't you don't know what you're doing. The issue is we don't have enough information to make a definitive answer. Tell people that. People can handle risk. People can handle complexity. There's a lot of research on that. But I, and I know and I know that many individual organizations, um, agencies, have risk communicators involved in their process. But what gets pushed out is not risk communication in my in my estimation. So if we want to change it, we really have to look at that that field of study to move it forward. So with that, I think we have equivocated and dithered. Um, so <laughs> I'll waffle. Uh, right, but they'll do it more otherwise. Um, oh, wait, wait, before I have to do it to myself, before people start to cut, cut you off, this is my show, right? Um, <laughs> uh, so we have, for the listeners uh, online, you can't see this, but we will include this opening in our uh, images for great show notes. But there's a really cool collage of pictures uh, that we used in our, in our previous um, episodes that, that celebrates FSC 200. And um, Jessica from ACTA uh, put that together, so we really nice um, job, and we appreciate that. So just shout out for a few of us. It's a masterpiece. Yeah, thank you. That's, now you can, you can have my back. Uh, thank you. Uh, so, so um, uh, thank you again for coming. Um, I, I, this um, blows away any of our previous um, activities that we've had at this meeting, and I fear we're only years away um, from like having to have a surprise Beyonce concert. In, like, <laughs> Wait, I'm supposed to be here. That's why. That's why I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, so I would like to ask everyone to please give our our guests a round of applause.